Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of The Ballot. Uh, I'm your host, Lois McParland, and I'm joined here by my good friend, Andrew Reynolds. Hello. And today, well, we've actually got a wee bit of a busy episode today, because I don't know if you've noticed, if you've kept clued up on your British politics, our favourite topic has been absolutely (laughs) rampant recently. So much has happened with the B word, Brexit. We've had so many votes. We've got a new party to talk about. And people are losing jobs. People are resigning. People are taking up this, that and the next thing. People are marching. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to get right down to the nitty gritty of what's happened since our last episode. And what might happen over the next couple of days. So, Andrew, let's go back. Let's go back to the 15th of January, which is when the first meaningful vote was taken. So, firstly... What is what, what? What's a meaningful vote? What, what was the meaningful vote? All right. So for a very long period of time, MPs have demen- de- been demanding more and more of a say over the Brexit process, and eventually Theresa May claimed down was that you will have a meaningful vote, a vote that means something, and um, eventually this was um, came about as a sort of a vote on Theresa May's checkers deal, and then the fifteenth of January there was the first vote on that, where Theresa May tried to convince Parliament. Um, to back her deal. So this would be a deal that she would leave the EU with? Yeah, it's, I mean, this isn't the final deal, obviously. If this deal was passed, we'd then um, that basically sets out the sort of future relationship with the EU. Mm-hmm. The deal you would propose to the EU? Yeah, yeah. I mean, over the next two years, then we would sort of negotiate a, a further deal, like a trade deal or whatnot. Okay, but this would be like the, 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 the base for Groundwork, it. yeah. At the groundwork, perfect. Yeah, so... Uh, and basically, that failed by 230 votes, so pretty disastrous. <laughs> you know, most The DEP were united against it because they felt as though Northern Ireland would be treated differently. This came down to the fact that the withdrawal agreement included something called the backstop, which I think we've talked about before. Yeah, we've talked about in past episodes, which is linking mm-hmm. Northern Ireland to EU and whatnot. You can listen yeah. to other episodes. Yeah, yeah. Talked sure about policy. And many Tory Brexiteers weren't happy with it, as were many, many, many Remainers, because they felt as though it wasn't ideal, and it, may, it because it doesn't involve membership of the single market and the like, and it basically made no one really happy. So Theresa May was left in a bit of a rut, where no one really wanted her deal, and she faced a lot of uh, calls to resign or whatnot, but obviously, because previously, um, before Christmas, she faced a leadership. Uh, the 1922 committee attempted to oust her, but she survived that vote within the Conservative Party MPs, and there wasn't a, and they couldn't they couldn't challenge her leadership again for another year. So despite the fact they were very unhappy with her, they couldn't challenge her leadership again. It's only way she could get you know, be ousted was through a vote of no confidence in the government, which happened the next day actually. The next day on the sixteenth of January, which lost by nineteen votes, very slim. Yes, I mean. Um, Theresa May already has quite a slim majority anyway, with, with the DUP back here and a supply um, supply agreement. And the DUP obviously know that this is the first time they've ever had influence in years. And they're not going to allow that influence to slip in any way. So they, despite the fact they have disagreements with the Conservative Party, and particularly Theresa May at the moment, they believe they can still get more influence from within the current government than without it. And all the Brexiteers united against Labour, because the last thing they want is to risk Labour gaining power. Yeah. So... Whilst Jeremy Corbyn stood up triumphantly the day after and declared a a vote of no confidence in the government and Theresa May marched out the chamber in response, it really didn't have much of an impact because it failed, as predicted. And a quick note on who the DUP are? The DUP are the Democratic Unionist Party, and they're the main sort of unionist party in Northern Ireland. They're headed by Arlene Foster, and basically 
they're basically the opposition to Sinn Féin normally in the Northern Irish Parliament, Stormont. Although, uh, a completely unrelated matter, Stormont's currently not functioning. Yeah, we'll probably cover that in a future episode on the state of Northern Ireland. Yeah, right but they're quite um, socially and fiscally conservative, mm-hmm. and they've been considered in the past quite a likely candidate for any coalition or supply and demand agreement. So are they good pals with the Conservatives? Uh, some of the Conservatives, they're big, they're big Brexiteers, big leavers, and they've, but they're also, they don't want Northern Ireland to be treated differently in many ways, so they get along well with the European Research Group, and uh, Jacob B. Smogs is sort of grouping within the Conservatives, but they don't really have a lot in common with other Conservatives, some Remainers, people like um, Amber Rudd and the like. Mm-hmm. But they've been quite crucial in giving Theresa May a majority. Oh, almost. Government, aren't they? Yeah, she would not have majority without them. Okay, okay, okay. So she was a minority, but through a partnership with the DUP, that's how she's been allowed to put through yes, a lot of her after, votes. Yes, after the snap election, she had to rely on them. Perfect. So this leads in to the third vote on our list, which was the second meaningful vote, which once again, despite marginally changing, if you know, she said that she'd had legal advice on it, but the bare bones of the vote didn't really change and neither did the result as it lost by 149 votes. So a, a little bit better than the last time, which lost by 230, but still a little bit of a landslide. The next day, on the 13th of March, there was a vote on whether the UK would leave with a no deal. How did that go? So, in the run-up to this vote, Theresa May rushed off to Brussels to try and get new concessions, and the EU was very, very emphatic that negotiations were over, she wasn't getting anything different. And as you mentioned, she got different legal advice from the Attorney General, Geoffrey Cox, who is basically the lead sort of legal... He's a lawyer, but he also sort of advises the government on any sort of legal matters. Mm -hmm. And he basically told the House on the day of the vote that despite the fact that the sort of rhetoric around the deal has changed, she got some sort of verbal concessions, but nothing actually on paper legally. Nothing's truly changed, and some hard conservatives blamed him um, for the deal failing. And she said, in the event this fails, the next two days we'll have the no-deal vote, a vote on whether to leave the EU with a no-deal. Now that is a very, very, very interesting vote, because we had several amendments to that. The Speaker... Um, uh, Berkow has allowed several amendments and numerous different motions that passed and bills and the bill, the amendments for this one were quite varied now one very interesting amendment was the Carolyn Spellman amendment and that basically changed the vote on a no deal Brexit which was prior to this it just was a very simple sort of if you pass this the house expresses its will that we won't leave the EU without a deal or it's considered it had to have negative consequences mm-hmm. so Theresa May, to sort of appease everyone, allowed a free vote, which meant that she doesn't express a preference either way, and yeah. Conservative MPs are free to vote however they want. Yeah, so they're not pressured into voting one yeah, way or yeah. another. And whips, which are the sort of people who work for Theresa May, the lead of the Conservative Party, in getting her MPs to vote a certain way, could sit back and let yeah. whip people do whatever they want. However, this Spellman Amendment came forward and it said, it basically ended the, the sort of document into saying that they are against a no-deal Brexit under any circumstances. Now, that very narrowly passed. It was very surprising by 312 votes to 308. Mm-hmm. So this was very surprising. And it forced Theresa May to very quickly change tack because she considers like still holding on to a no-deal Brexit as a, a key tool in negotiations or like you know threatening people in her party. So she whipped her MPs. She tried to force them all to vote against this amendment, which was insane. Uh, not against the amendment, against the motion as a whole because now the motion was rejecting no-deal under any circumstances. This led to a total collapse of sort of 
cabinet authority, which is really quite unprecedented because it was a three-line whip, which means that if you don't, basically if you don't vote with the way the government wants you to vote or with your party wants you to vote, you're seriously risking your membership of the party. And if you're a cabinet minister, you really have to resign if you don't vote with the part mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. government. And we had Amber Rudd, the working pension secretary. We had Philip Hammond, the chief secretary of the treasury. Treasury, we had many, many ministers just abstain against the Whip, which really showed she couldn't, you know, command the respect of her own cabinet. A lot of her authority was mm-hmm. really getting just crumbling gone. here. Yeah. In the immediate aftermath of this, we see that she then admitted, yeah, well, the House now says they don't want a no deal under any circumstances. So that also led to many people saying that, well, after you've got your deal or whatever or you've set up a plan for the future, you kind of have to leave. You're, you no, no longer command the respect of anyone, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that does actually quite nicely lead us into the vote on the next day, which was the vote to extend Article 50. Now, that vote was very interesting because um, that vote was actually pretty heavily in favour of it, and there were even more amendments to that one which we need to talk about. Yes, so... This brings into us our one, two, three, four, five, our sixth vote of the episode already, which was on the 14th of March. The main motion of the day, like we said, there were a couple of votes on this day on the 14th of March, but the main motion was to extend Article 50. And this is essentially just an extension on the deal so we can have a little bit more time to think about what we're doing because the UK yeah. had ultimately, up until this time, failed to get a real stranglehold on what they wanted to oh, do. Oh yes, yeah. so two years ago when we triggered Article 50 with uh, Theresa May, it basically set in, in stone the deadline, the 29th of March 2019, as the mm-hmm. date in which we would leave the EU. Now if we didn't come to an agreement or a deal by then, then we would just crash out with no deal Brexit. And that We've gone to that in other episodes in detail, yes. but it would basically meet mean leaving the EU in a very sort of messy fashion with yeah. no real agreement. Now this sort of vote was to extend that hopefully, to extend that to the sort of a few days, a few weeks, basically just to ask the government to go forward and send a, quite literally a letter to Donald Tusk and other EU figures to ask for an extension. How long that extension was was up to for further debate but this was the general thrust of the whole motion. Mm. Um, I think there, there were five total amendments. One amendment was actually an amendment to another amendment. <laughs> Quite, but I think we'll discuss the first one, Amendment H. So, other than the main motion on the 14th of March was to extend Article 50 to give us a little bit of time to rally, rally our forces a little bit and think about what we really wanted to do, there were five or there were four votes. One didn't actually get moved to a vote, but there's a couple that we want to talk about in particular. The first one was a vote chaired by Sarah Wallison which is for a second referendum. Many people have talked about a second referendum. It's actually something I'm going to talk about just in the second portion of the show, actually. And this lost by a landslide. So what, what were the what were the controversies around about this vote? Yeah, so this was an amendment to the main motion of uh, extending Article 50. Now, this would have amended the overall motion to enable a second referendum and express in the House as well that it should happen. Now, as you see, it lost by a colossal margin. 85 votes in favour of it and 334 votes against. There's quite a lot of people missing. Yes. <laughs> now, we had the Lib Dems, SNP, a few sort of small parties all go for it, as well as a few dozen Labour MPs. However, the main reason there were so few MPs in favour of this is that the Labour leadership uh, put a three-line whip in place, which is, a, as I expressed earlier, a massive sort of thrust for his whole, for his whole party to abstain. Now, Jeremy Corbyn did this. He wanted his party to abstain from this vote because he believed that um, it wouldn't pass anyway under 
and that perhaps they were better trying on it later on. He's also expressed his will at other points in time that he's more in favour of a sort of his own customs union style deal. Mm-hmm. So some people were outraged at this. As I said earlier, some uh, conservative, M- conservative Labour MPs like David Lammy rejected the three-line weapon just voted straight in favour of this. However, because it was rejected by such a large margin, it's then shown up in headlines around the world as a British Parliament rejects a second referendum. Right. Whether this comes before the Parliament again, Rains to be seen, you know. It'll probably come in the form of another amendment. Whether or not Jeremy Corbyn wants these MPs to have seen again, we'll have to see. Because Jeremy Corbyn's main, if we take it back to the bare bones, but his main opinion on Brexit is that he's a lever. Yes, um, it's never really been confirmed. He's to his supporters, and we're to his, he, yeah, he presents yeah, yeah. that I'm a Remainer, yes. But if we look in the past, he's never really been that positive at the mm-hmm. EU, and he's yeah. always sort of voice support for some sort of Brexiteer yeah, talking yeah, yeah. points like immigration, putting down employment. Which slightly goes against his party, which obviously yes. Labour is majorly, majorly a Remain party. Yes, you do have four or five MPs who are Brexiteers, but if we look back at the last Labour conference, they voted by an absolute landslide in favour of a second referendum, and he then made a concession and said, if my customs union plan doesn't go through and people aren't in support of it, I'll happily back a second vote. But since then, he's not really come out fully enthused. He's been continuously trying his own wee plan. And this has led some people to view him as a bit more Eurosceptic than Mm -hmm. even like... So, for example, you have the deputy leader, Tom Watson, who's very much in favour. He's at the Our Our Future, Our Choice, and the People's Vote March today, which we'll talk about in the later part of the show. And also the the Home Secretary and Chancellor of the Labour Party, people like um, John MacDonald, he's come out in favour of... Uh, people's vote, but that's not really been echoed by Jeremy Corbyn to the same degree. So it remains to be seen what direction the Labour Party really takes mm-hmm. as this whole Brexit saga goes on. Yeah. So there was there were there was a, a split in the voting intentions in the Labour Party between kind of the the MPs and the big wigs of the party. Kind of another vote that was on that day was essentially to put the deal and the management of the deal into the hands of the MPs. How did this one go? This was in my um, Hillary Benn. Now, he's quite an influential figure in the Labour Party. He was previously part of the sort of shadow cabinet, although he's he's not really a, an ally of Jeremy Corbyn as such. So he, he resigned from the shadow cabinet during a wave of resignations a few years back. And he tabled this amendment. Now, it basically would have put the business of the House, which is basically when votes will take place and mm-hmm. what, etc., etc., in the hands of MPs themselves. Uh, he wants to be put in the hands of a sort of senior committee of some MPs from different parties. Rather than the government. Rather than the government itself, Theresa May. Now, this is something she was deadly afraid of because this would have taken it out of her hands and she would have lost control of most of the Brexit process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was rejected by very, very narrow, 312 votes to 314. Yeah. So, very close. I mean, we had some um, Labour rebels. We had a few... People not turning up, maybe should have not abstained, and this was very close. And um, it, it was a big relief for Theresa May, I think. Before we go on to talk about what's in the, the near future, what we can look forward to in the political calendar, we've got a new party kicking about, don't we? Yeah, we do. Well, they're not really a party, they're a, a corporation. They're a group actually. right now. They're called the Independent Group. Now, um, a wee while back, uh, what's the date exactly? It was the 18th of February. 18th of February, we had... Eight conser- eight uh, Labour MPs and three uh, later three um, Conservative MPs defect from their parties, um, resign the whip, 
as it were, and stand as independent candidates, which means they're, they don't belong to any party, they're just being elected themselves. And they formed a sort of collective grouping called independent group. Now, it isn't a party, but it could be one, as mm-hmm. one of their members, Chuka Muna, has suggested. Um, they're actually registered as a corporation in Panama, I think, which is a bit dodgy, but right. let's ignore that for them. We'll need to see when, when we come to, whenever another general mm-hmm. election comes. How that at, the moment, at the moment, their only real unifying factor is they're against any anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, which okay. is something that led to a lot of them quitting, like Luciana Lucy, Berger. She's one of the people who've quit the Labour Party, and she's actually the previous head of Jewish... Um, of sort of Jewish Labour, I can't remember exactly yeah, the yeah, group, yeah. but the main sort of group, left-wing group supporting Labour. And that was a major hit to them. Also, you had people like Mike Gapes, and he's been a member of the Labour Party for over 30, 40 years, half his life. And um, he's been an MP for decades as well. These are real heavy hitters, not just new MPs. And the second thing that unifies them is their pro-European stance. So these, this is made up of MPs who felt that either Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn didn't go far enough in their support of Europe and were either bowing too much to sort of Brexiteers or um, Eurosceptics. So we have people like Anna Subri and um, Heidi Allen, who are both Conservatives, who are quite pro-EU, and they're in favour of a people's vote or second referendum. And um, it remains to be seen what form they'll take, but the, I think the real impact they've had is, because it's 11 MPs from both parties... from both, part- from both parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It meant that it's narrowed Theresa May's majority to only nine, which means that she really only needs a few rebellions one way or the other for her to lose any vote. So it's it's a bit nerve-wracking. But they appear to have lost a bit of momentum since they haven't really got any more defections. But yeah. it remains to be seen. In the next election, we might be wiped out or they might win. Who knows? Who knows? So, the near future. We've had Meaningful Vote 1. We've had Meaningful Vote 2. It's like a bad, it's like a bad film series, isn't mm-hmm. it? We're now on, potentially, a third Meaningful vote, but but what what's changed? What's the point in having another vote on the I same know, deal? I know it's like the soft run franchise. We're seeing that you come <laughs> back and back again. So we're, I mean, earlier a few weeks ago, we had talk of a meaningful vote three on potentially even meaningful vote four, because the idea was that Theresa May she's narrowed down down the numbers who've rebelled, you know, from two hundred and thirty down to only a, over a few hundred, over a hundred and so. So Theresa May very much has her sights set and her deal passing. This is the the work of her government. I mean, it's her tenureship. This is the crowning achievement. And she wants to get through the House. Now, she believes that after the House voted in favour of ruling out no deal under any circumstances, um, it's not binding, I might add, but it's it basically expresses a strong preference against a no deal and makes it very unlikely that the government would, you know, ignore the will of the House. That some MPs, especially the Eurosceptic side of the Conservatives, would, they might compromise now they might decide, okay, we might be in favour of your Brexit rather than no Brexit. I think Jacob Rees-Mogg termed it as a bad Brexit rather than no Brexit at all. So she was hopeful that she could maybe put it forward again, maybe convince both those as the party. She was also in this weird stalemate where um, the DUP, which also would need to back it, they've said, we won't back it unless the D- unless um, Jacob Rees-Mogg and the Eurosceptic wing and the Conservatives back it, and the European wing of the Conservatives have said, we won't back it unless the DUP back it. So it's a bit of a, who knows what's going to happen. But Berkow, the Speaker of the House, in response to a question by one of the of an MP during the week, said, I won't bring this to a vote or accept it, they put before the House, unless it's substantially different. Mm-hmm. Because parliamentary law since the 1600s, actually, states that you can't bring something back to the House twice, if, well, more than once if it's already been rejected by the House in the same session. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to reason we was able to bring it back a second time because she got different legal advice, so it yeah. could be argued that it's a different thing they're voting on. Now, 
she can't bring it back again because it's not there's been no changes and or for order for her to get different legal advice it would basically trash Jeffrey Cox mm. who gave legal advice before so she would have to change it in some way you also have another problem where a lot of her whips have said they're not willing to help her get it brought before the house again unless they think they can actually get the support for it and again it seems like support's gone downhill because actually a few days ago we should probably mention this as well uh, Theresa May stood outside Downing Street and gave a well inside Downing Street actually and gave a wee speech um, basically saying that sh- MPs are frustrating the Brexit process. I'm oversimplifying here, but I'm paraphrasing massively, but that's basically what she said. And that's turned some, some more MPs against her, sadly. Well, sadly for her. So it seems unlikely that might pass now, if there is a meaningful vote three. Especially as we're getting closer and closer to the Brexit deadline, it mm-hmm. seems very unlikely and in shaky ground. So we'll have to see what happens there. And this has led into something which is, again, possibly in the near future, called indicative votes. Indicative votes, yeah. So what, some of this, this has always been considered by the Prime Minister as an option. So months ago, she had a phone call with David Cameron where he suggested indicative votes as a process. And Hilary Benn, who we talked about earlier in the podcast, he himself and Yvette Kipper, another uh, Labour MP, also tried to propose amendments in the past to do this. Now, this is a process whereby the House would be allowed to vote on several Brexit options. It's been suggested by um, Sky News last night as seven different options. And, for example, what would happen is they would go into the Commons and there'd be a vote in favour of a no-deal Brexit, and they'd all vote. And then there'd be a vote in favour of a Norway-style Brexit, and they'd all vote, and etc, etc, etc. No Brexit revoking Article 50, whatever. And this would help the Prime Minister and the House to understand what the House is actually, you know... What the general opinion is. So it's not not, not exactly if, for instance, for instance, if there was a vote, if there was a wide majority saying that we want a a no-deal Brexit. It wouldn't mean that a no-deal Brexit would happen, but it's just trying to gauge the opinion of the House. Yeah, what would actually pass the House? Because you don't want... In the worst case scenario, what you don't want is a government which has no idea what will actually pass the House, (laughs) and they're just throwing stuff at it all the time. Chucking it at the wall, see what sticks. So that might happen, and this is particularly since very, very recently, a few days ago, the Prime Minister, after the, they voted to extend Article 50, she went off to the EU as managed to gain a conditional extension, which basically means that we won't leave on the 29th of March anymore, which is a big deal for many Brexiteers, mm-hmm. they're very frustrated at that, and it was all, all plastered over the papers a few years ago, but rather we'll leave on the 12th of April, if the Prime Minister can't pass her meaningful vote 3, which may or may not happen, we've already discussed that, and if she can pass it, then we will leave on the 22nd of May, and this gives Parliament time after him. If meaningful vote would succeed to pass the required legislation and what have you, and give them time to uh, work with the European Union to ensure it's a bit more smooth. Now, because it's it seems more likely now than not that she won't be able to pass her deal, it seems like the 12th of the next month is um, the most likely uh, exit date. Of course, if no plan is actually agreed by that date, we will still leave a sort of no-deal Brexit. Yeah. But there is a growing momentum behind a softer Brexit at the moment, so it seems quite more likely that maybe a Norway-style Brexit, maybe a referendum, who knows? It's a, a bit of a black eye scenario. We could slip or slide anyway. We don't really know. So it's not a little bit sad that we have to do indicative votes now? That like, That's how out of touch the government is with the house yeah i mean for the government's been using the will of the people slogan more and more and uh, 
over the course I'm of the I'm on your it's, side. It's and very all much. And yeah, she did that a few days ago. And it's, it's. What is the will of the people? That's the question. And as of today, we're seeing a huge march in yes. London, actually. So that was actually our next topic. But today, they're, today on the day of recording, which is the 23rd of March, there has essentially been a people's vote march. Hey, mm-hmm. March, March, don't think hey. that. Uh, there's been a people's vote march of around the country. It's estimated of just over a million people in London, but also in other cities across the UK to say the the will of the people is for a people's vote. And this yeah. goes hand in hand with a petition that's been put out over yeah, the last yeah, yeah. couple of days to essentially revoke Article 50. This has picked up at the moment recording four and a half million votes across the UK, which is a very big amount. Yeah, at the moment of recording four million five hundred forty thousand signatures. I mean that's the most signatures any petition has ever garnered on the UK government website. Oh really? Yes. I mean the largest petition pre prior to that was a second referendum petition. So what does that say? <laughs> now that that was um a few three or four million. And this one's uh revoke article fifteen and remain in the EU because it's all a mess. Okay. And um it's still growing. It was only a few days ago it's actually gained momentum properly. I think it's going up like a couple thousand since we started recording since so now. it's who knows where we'll end up when it's finished mm-hmm. but um, I think because of this petition oh, I mean petitions aren't binding the government just needs to reply that's all you know requires but it puts on the thoughts of MPs particularly this march as well right through Westminster yeah. so it's very much May's being pulled here and there by different forces within Parliament but now forces without Parliament are pulling her you know not just the EU but rather the British people so where we go, who knows, but if this position or this march has an impact, uh, that'll become more and more apparent in the days to come. Um, I had to remain completely impartial. There's also been a leave march today, which has amassed 150 attendants, uh, led by yes. Nigel Farage. Yeah. Well, Nigel, that was yesterday, Roger, rather. Yeah, Nigel Farage, um, he's been garnering for a sort of... Brexit means Brexit kind of march. Yep. Um, leave means leave, and... Yeah, I think he charged thirty to fifty pounds to attend. It was really a, was yeah, it a paid yeah. thing? I think it was a paid know. thing. Yeah, and um, one hundred fifty people at least signed up, and he got them an open top bus heading down from the north of England, Newcastle, Sale area. Down to he didn't complete it. He only got, went on the first few miles, and then it started raining and left. So. Not, you can't have that, you know. Breaks means breaks. Yeah, yeah, but if it starts getting yeah, rainy, yeah, I'm man, not, I don't umbrella. Rain you know. Bren man, hun, <laughs> you kidding? Oh, so, uh, there's obviously a lot of. He did opinions on either side. We had some people like Kate Huey from the Labour Party, who's a massive Brexiteer. She said it was a symbolic gesture. It didn't matter how many people turned out. Yeah. That's true. But surely the people thought March is also a symbolic gesture. It, it's, it's hard not to compare these two what's yes. going on at a similar time and against things. That you get over a million people and 405 million signatures compared to 150 people marching. Now, it's, it's also worth knowing, I think we should note, with regards to petitions that... Whilst we had this huge, huge um, petition to revoke Article 50 by and in the EU by 4.5 million signatures, the third most voted on or signed petition at, at the moment is the Leave the European Union without the deal, without a deal, which has garnered just below 500,000 signatures, 485 at the time of recording, 185,000 at the time of recording. So we've got these two very disparate forces in British politics and mm-hmm. British discourse that went between revolting Article 15 just remain in the EU and leaving the EU without a deal very hard Brexit right so they're not they're a bit irreconcilable and it's very difficult to see a way forward at the moment for anyone whether in Parliament because there's no there's nothing really Parliament's in favour of voting for 
there's no real consensus at the moment. Perhaps maybe a Norway style deal, but that's uncertain because mm-hmm. at the moment what we're seeing is people are very much opposed to something that they don't like, but it's harder to swallow that they might need to vote in favour of Theresa May's deal or what have you. So, referendum something. Something might have to give, or something might unusual might need to happen. One thing we probably should mention before we end is that the European parliamentary elections are coming Ah, up. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the main reason the EU didn't want to extend uh, Article 50 beyond a few months was that in three months' time, we've got the European parliamentary elections and under EU law you have to partake in them as a country if mm-hmm. you want to remain a member so if it if it so happens that Theresa May can't put forward meaningful vote 3 and she can't pass it um, we'll have it only until the 12th of the next month to actually come to a solution now if that solution isn't leaving without a deal then what we may need to have is a much longer extension of several months, 6 months, 1 year, 2 years who knows and that will mean most most likely taking part in the European parliamentary elections, which will be a whole nother matter to deal with. That's definitely something I want to cover in another episode in its entirety, purely purely because A, there's so much to talk about, and B, I kind of want to um, kind of round it up in its full and give it, give it its, its do it justice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that'll probably wrap us up. It's probably been our longest episode, almost definitely been our longest episode, actually. Thank you if you're this far. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Ballot Podcast, and over there you can also find our website, which we're going to try and get a little bit more, um, a little bit more updated more regularly. And you can find out all our all our Brexit chat over there, and just get involved in the community. Thank you very much for listening. You can find our other episodes for free on iTunes as well as on SoundCloud and I'm pretty sure I'm going to try and get it on Spotify soon enough just to open up the ways you can hear our lovely voices. Oh, well, isn't that great? <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I've been joined once again by Andrew Reynolds. I've been Lewis McParlin and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. See you.